Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have an old interview or discussion I did with Ed Opperman in 2013 with Dave McGowan about the subject of the West Memphis Three. Uh, we did about a two-hour show and then an after show, so this will be the first part. This will be the, the whole show I did with Ed Opperman. I'm reposting this with Ed Opperman's permission, so thanks to Ed. Really appreciate the generosity in allowing me to repost this. And I will put links to Ed's show and his website where you can listen to all his interviews. There's a lot with me on there. Dave McGowan about uh, Program to Kill, his famous book, and many, many others. He's done a lot of great interviews recently, too. So go check out Ed Opperman at the Ed Opperman Report and his website. And then look for the follow-on after show where we take... Uh, questions from callers and that'll be I'll try to post that as soon as possible but again this was about the West Memphis 3 back in 2013 unfortunately Dave passed away in 2015 so rest in peace Dave thank you tonight uh, we have probably two of my favorite guests and two, two of my most popular guests we got Dave McGowan uh, who's the author of Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon and Program to Kill oh. and we also and have, we also have uh, William Ramsey William- uh, author of Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murder, and another book called Alistair Crowley, A Visual Study and Prophet of Evil, Alistair Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. Praise your show. Uh, good old um, uh, uh, Dave McGowan and William Ramsey. You there, guys? Uh, yes, indeed. Okay. I, I, I'm here. Okay, great, great. Why don't we start off with the William Ramsey uh, Give us a little synopsis who you are and how you got involved. Because we're telling you our topic is going to be the West Memphis Three. Uh, we'll start off with that, but who knows where the hell we'll go because we all, we're all into the same stuff. Uh, well, so, go ahead. I, I started at the West Memphis Three when I was watching a video. I was actually researching my next book, which I'm still working on. But I came across a video that had one of the, uh, the central character of the West Memphis Three, Damien Eccles, talking about Aleister Crowley. It was during an uh, examination in court. And that kind of piqued my interest. I was wondering about the case I had written, the prior book about Crowley, uh, Prophet of Evil. So I was wondering why Crowley was tied to the case, and that kind of drew me in. I had heard of the West Memphis Three uh, prior. I think I saw the first of three um, documentaries in 1996, and I had just, like, it kind of came out of my mind. I really didn't think about it much. And then I had seen that they were released in 2011, and... uh, once I started researching, I really was un- it seemed to, to me that I was uncovering a lot of facts and evidence that a lot of other people about the case were not covering. Um, according to the public, the West Memphis Three were uh, unjustly convicted of the, the heinous crime of three uh, eight-year-old boys. But uh, to me, reading through it, I uh, you know saw so much evidence of the occult in the case and just tons of deception and uh, outright lying. And so it really led me to down kind of a rabbit hole of the case and uh, led me to write a book, uh, which was Abomination, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murders. And my basic position is that the three um, people, Damian Eccles, uh, Jason Baldwin, and Jesse Miss Kelly, were justly convicted of the crime. Yeah, yeah. Now, uh, now, what about you, Dave? How'd you get involved with the West Memphis Three? And tell us about your book too, uh, Weird Scenes uh, Inside the Canyon. Um, I first looked into the case. I want to say probably about, like, about ten, twelve years ago. 
when I was uh, doing the research and writing uh, Program to Kill, and uh, of course, you know the occult themes and and uh, and whatnot, uh, tied it in closely with the material in that book. But it wasn't uh, technically a serial killer case, so it didn't really uh, it didn't really fit in with the book. So I, I didn't uh, didn't use it there. And I've looked into it a couple of times since then. It's popped up. Um, so, uh, but I have not, I have not looked at it in, in like, in excruciating detail. So I, I'm just kind of hoping that I'm not in, uh, over my head here today with the two of you who I know, uh, probably, not, <laughs> probably know, uh, a little bit more about the minutiae of the case than I do, but, uh, I have looked into it and, and definitely have very strong opinions on it. And, uh, one thing that I would say is that for me, and really, I think for most people, even although it's always referred to as the West Memphis Three case, it's never really been about the West Memphis Three. It's always been about Damian Eccles, you know. And uh, and Baldwin and Miskelly were really just sort of uh, the beneficiaries of, of what was absolutely a relentless drive to to exonerate and free. Uh, uh, Eccles, you know, through this massive propaganda campaign waged through Hollywood with the HBO films and the, the Peter Jackson film and whatnot. And, um, you know, it, it, it's Eccles that's, that's out hanging, you know, partying with the Hollywood crowd and, and getting the film production credits and, and, uh, and getting the lucrative book contracts and the well attended public appearances and, you know, going out and getting matching tattoos with Johnny Depp. <laughs> yeah, and private, all of that private planes, flying around on private planes. You know, and so, you know, I mean, it, it's always really been about Damien Eccles. And, uh, you know, I think, I think on both sides, you know, with supporters and detractors alike, uh, he has always been at the forefront of this case. And um, I personally, I don't know that I really have a huge problem with the other two. Well, I don't know about Baldwin, but certainly not Miskelly um, being freed after 18 years of imprisonment. But uh, Damien Eccles certainly uh, absolutely deserves to be behind bars, um, you know, and uh, do not in any way, shape, or form feel that there was a, uh, a miscarriage of justice in that case. And... Um, Despite what uh, a lot of his supporters seem to believe, and despite the relentless drive, uh, we need to make clear that he was not, that although he was freed, he has in fact never been exonerated. And he is basically a paroled, convicted, you know, triple child killer. Um, despite yeah. the fact that his supporters don't like to hear that, um, that is legally the case. You know, he's never been exonerated. He is, in fact, a convicted child murderer. And, um, and yet he's treated like royalty, uh, in and by Hollywood. And, you know, they roll out the red carpet for this guy. And it's just, uh, uh, very distasteful to say the least. So. Yeah, I think that's one of the more remarkable elements of the case, and I think you really uh, encapsulated that well, is that there's just so much propaganda about it, uh, and the, the celebrity element is, is really a rarity in so many other uh, murder cases. But it is true, he's actually a double convict. He's actually a rarity in the criminal justice system, where he was convicted in 1994 and then again in 2011 with the Alford plea, which, they let, which his supporters seem to think is... 
uh, something less than a guilty plea, which is uh, uh, transparent falsity. It is a guilty plea. So uh, that's what yeah. allowed him probation. I mean, the reality is, is that millions of dollars were thrown at this case, you know, through through the profits from these films and through benefit concerts and, and all of his celebrity supporters and whatnot. And, I mean, the guy had a veritable army of high-dollar attorneys and private detectives and FBI profilers and, and filmmakers and everything else working for him, you know, for 18 years, uh, you know, trying every legal means possible to get that verdict overturned, and it was it stood, it, and still stands to this day. You know, it's, despite what his report or supporters want to believe, that guilty verdict uh, withstood eighteen years of, of legal challenges by a by a pretty formidable army of, of people that were assembled around this guy. Yeah, they had a billboard up, <laughs> a billboard in the middle of town. Saying, hey, come on in and come up with any kind of excuse or any other suspect, whatever information you got, you know, we'll pay you, you know, come on in. So, yeah. yeah. Attracted all kinds of ex-felons, people who came up with new memories 15 years after the fact. I mean, there was like a one claim, uh, which is the most farcical and ridiculous, is that the murders happened because four guys were engaged in some type of orgy and the three children came up upon them. Um, so yeah, it's just it's unbelievable what uh, how the the twists and turns of the case over this eighteen years. Yeah, it seems like lately they want to point the figure at good old uh, uh, Terry Hobbs, uh, who who is listening right now. He's been on the show before. He's been on the show with me and uh, William, as a matter of fact, and he, he'll probably be calling in tonight uh, during the after show. Um, now, one thing is when we started talking about this, as soon as you bring up any guest I have on here, as soon as you bring up West Memphis Three. I had Pat Brown, the uh, the criminal profiler. I had Diane Diamond. I had uh, Vito Colucci. I had uh, Steph Watts. Anybody who's in the media, and you mentioned the West Memphis Three case, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is, those people are so crazy, man. They're going to be stalking me. They're going to be trolling me, insulting me. You know, have you guys ever experienced, well, I guess, David, have you any other controversy you've stuck your nose in? Have you seen any group of people that are just so rabidly insulting and rude and troll-like than you have with the West Memphis Three case? Yeah, it, it was. Uh, it got more. It got a stronger reaction, I'd have to say, than anything that I put up on my uh, Facebook page. I set up a Facebook page for my to promote primarily to promote my book and. Uh, I post, you know, various things on there that are related either to the book or to other avenues of research that I'm, you know, pretty well known for, and uh, I don't know that any got a more uh, <laughs> more <laughs> mixed response than uh, than that one, and uh, you know, I think, I, I am firmly convinced that uh, that the guy uses uh, plants in his uh, public appearances, and um, I, I, I wish I would have bookmarked it, but I didn't, but uh, a couple of years ago, well, maybe it wasn't, maybe know, a year, year and a half ago or something, I saw this video on YouTube of one of his public appearances where he was uh, doing kind of a Q&A. He and his wife uh, were on stage doing this Q&A with, with, a, with a large audience in his auditorium. And um, the very first gal that they uh, called on to ask a question asked a pretty hardball question. Uh, but it was fair, you know, it, w- it was a fair question, I thought, certainly. 
Um, but it, but it was a question that was very critical of, of things that he's he's claimed and said in the past, and um, and Eccles kind of fumbled around for an answer, and and then she took her seat, and then uh, they immediately called the next gal up, and she came up and took the microphone, and before even asking her question, as soon as she took the microphone, she used that opportunity to thoroughly berate this uh, first woman who had dared to, uh, you know, question, uh, you know, ask a serious question uh, of Eccles and um, just went on a pretty long harangue against this gal. And then, uh, and then of course, tossed uh, Eccles a uh, a real softball question. And I got the definite impression that that she was a plant that was in the audience specifically to be called on if Eccles, you know, found himself in a jam or, or, you know, happened to get a a semi-hostile question. Um, so yeah, I, th- I think it's a very well coordinated effort around him yeah. to uh, to shout down uh, any anyone who questions any aspect of of his version of events. Yeah, and I, I think that's true also on the internet and Facebook and all all uh, all kinds of social media. They have, I think, a very sophisticated PR team that actually monitors social media for anything negative and make sure that uh, some of Eccles cultists or followers or paid. Um, opinion makers uh, respond to any negative positions within a day. You know, I've had I've actually posted stuff late at night at twelve o'clock and had a response like, uh, you know, a really feral, ferocious response within two hours. So, to me, that was like an indicator that there's some type of sophisticated monitoring going around about his name or anything with that kind of tag, whether it's West Memphis Three, Damian Eccles, something like that. So. Um, and I know for a fact that they're one of the most unusual elements of the entire situation that a lot of people don't know about or can't uh, get their 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 head around is that how many cult followers he's got who really will do anything that he says um, as uh, you know as far as harassing people, um, putting negative information out, uh, character assassination. I mean, I my book on Amazon. I've had just running battles with deranged Eccles uh, supporters for, you know, at least a year. Just people making up nonsense, throwing Terry Hobbs in front of the bus. Um, it's it's really amazing. I've never, I'd never expected anything like that. And it really clarifies a lot of how uh, the situation of how he got to so much support is that he has a, a core of supporters. And I know for a fact that there's a couple pretty sharp people uh Amongst his supporters who operate under two or three or four different uh, aliases online. Oh yeah, I mean, I say I've been following this since like '96. You know, back on Usenet. Uh, I, I, as soon as I saw the documentary, I went looking online. What could I find about it? And I went on Usenet. The uh, those groups there. Remember with the good old Sean Wheeler? We had Sean Wheeler on our show, the first show we did a year ago, uh, who I believe is an expert on this case. I, n- I never met anybody who knew more details in this case. And at the time, he was using names like a public enemy numero uno, and he would shorten it to P-E-N-U. <laughs> He's a real character, I tell you. I think we disagree on everything else but this case. But he was he knew every little minutiae detail on this case. And he argued, you know, 24 hours a day with these characters. And I think he kept this thing going just as much as some of the supporters did. Um, and one thing uh, I believe is there's been such debate and examination of this case that the uh, the supporters, uh, especially the main ones in charge at the top, 
have to know by now that these guys are guilty. And either they're so invested uh, in their, their money-making scheme and their reputations, and this has just become it, – it's, it's been such a, it's such a cult on both sides because the supporters and the nons, they all socialize with each other. They spend all day with each other. They're in, all in each other's business constantly. But I believe that the people at the very top, the three Borg, the three main characters who got the West Memphis Three uh, uh, support site, I believe that they all must realize by now that these guys are guilty. Uh, but they're just they're just going ahead with it. Yeah, when you're talking about the the armies of supporters, and uh, you know, I, I I'm pretty well convinced that those supporters fall into two camps. You know, and the the vast majority. Of his, uh, supporters, you know, his, his rank and file supporters who, who have been duped by the HBO films and the Peter Jackson films. Uh, I'm sure that they, they really genuinely believe that he's, uh, you know, an innocent victim of a, uh, you know, criminal justice system run amok. And, um, you know, that, uh, you know, he was unjustly imprisoned, unjustly, you know, had like 20 years of his life unjustly taken away from him and uh and and i'm sure there's a lot of them that really ardently believe that but uh i'm i'm also equally sure that 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 a lot of his like celebrity and very high profile supporters have to absolutely know uh you know how how ridiculously inaccurate those films were and, and they have to know that these that this guy is guilty and uh I believe that 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 some of them actually kind of look up to and admire him uh, for that fact. You know, I totally that they, agree with you. Well, I you agree. Know, I agree with that too. Johnny Depp that are running around getting matching tattoos with. You know, I mean, I, I think he, he he sees this guy. Uh, I, I think he actually, you know, admires him for for for, for having done what he did. You know, and uh, you know, I know that's a, a difficult concept for a lot of people to wrap their heads around. Um, but yeah, I, I think absolutely some of his, uh, you know, uh, more high profile, uh, more elite sort of, uh, supporters, uh, absolutely know, know that he's guilty and, uh, and, and support him exactly because of that, you yeah. know? Yeah, I agree. I think that's one of the kind of, uh, difficult elements of the case is to, and that's the occult element for me of the case is that his, a lot of his core celebrity supporters are interested in the, occult slash Satanism uh, uh, as much as Eccles is, who was absolutely yeah, ab- 100% fascinated. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Your Johnny Depp's and your Henry Rollins and, and uh, you know, the, the members of uh, the band Disturbed and Ozzy Osbourne. And, I mean, yeah, you don't have to look too far to to realize that these guys have a, have a pretty keen interest in the occult. And, um you know, I think they view it as as like Eccles gained some kind of power, you know, from yeah. uh, doing that, and and they they want to share in that sort of. You well, know? you know, playing the devil's advocate, he did get out of prison after killing three little kids. He did, yeah. he gain some. You know, you know, he, he got some kind of power there, man. <laughs> well, you you make an excellent point. If you read the intro to his new book, he he uh, ascribes his success in getting out of jail to magic with the K, right? The ICK he said. All I did is use magic, magic, magic to get out of jail, which I think is extremely telling about where his, uh, you know, spiritual, spiritual inclinations lie and his mindset. Well, William, give us something, because you've done a lot of work on uh, Eccles since he's been out of prison. And I, I believe, you know, you, you and myself are on a short list of enemies list, and I think he's very well aware <laughs> of us, you know. <laughs> but, well, I, I've, I've been through, yeah, I mean, yeah. I, I, I mean, I'm... 
Yeah, I'm on a short, very short list. Me, Blatty, you. Um, yeah, and then, you know, maybe Dave McGowan will now be... Yeah, hey, yeah, Dave, yeah, Dave, hang out with the cool kids. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I only put a one little brief Facebook post, that's all. <laughs> well, now you're, well, now you're in it now, though, bro. But, but I'll tell you, you know, I, I was not... Uh, I, I did not know much about social media at all. Uh, I did, never really had much regard for it, and my publisher convinced me to put up the Facebook page for... Uh, for purposes of promoting the book, you know, he basically told me that social media is a, a key component of any successful, you know, marketing uh, campaign in this day and age, especially if, you know, you don't have mainstream media backing. And uh, so I put it up and uh, I was pretty much a babe in the woods initially. And uh, it's really been a learning experience about uh, like trolling and uh, how these people operate and how professional and well organized uh, these yeah. operations are. And uh, I really didn't know what I was getting into. And, uh, you know, when people first started trolling my page, I was reluctant to, to ban them. And people kept telling me, you know, they're trolls. You just got to ban them or, you know, they're not going to go away. They're just, you know, you're the more you interact with them, the more that, you know. And I know. I think one time uh, there was a post from your daughter who went on your page and said, Dad, you can't keep feeding these guys. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> There is one guy, I don't even know if it's a guy, who knows, maybe it's a guy, maybe it's a gal, maybe it's a conglomeration of people, I have no idea, but I have banned this guy from my Facebook page no less than half a dozen times, maybe more, and he comes right back within a couple of days with a new, brand new uh, Facebook profile, new name, but it's perfectly obvious that it's the same person, you know? And people say, why don't you ban that guy? And I'm like, why? For what? <laughs> what? You know, I mean, he's got unlimited uh, identities, obviously. You know, what 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 good does it do me to, to ban? And sometimes he's been on there at times with, with two to three identities at the same time. Yeah. You know, like cross-commenting on his own posts and stuff. And it's just... Well, you know what? I, you, I, you, have a really, yeah. you have a really cool page, though. That, that The weird scenes inside the canyon uh, page... Uh, it gets into all different kinds of topics, like even Phil Hartman. I read a great thing you had up there about Phil Hartman this week, and then today you were giving out some great gossip we'll get into later on. But I definitely recommend that page. That's a page I stop by every day for sure. Well, thank you very much. Yeah. And um, yeah, it's it's been a learning experience, and uh, and I've also found that, that when you if you uh, ban them from Facebook, sometimes they will go directly to Amazon and retaliate yeah. uh, for coming by slamming your book. On Amazon, so um, yeah, I've gotten one-star reviews from people specifically because I banned them uh, from Facebook, and I'm pretty sure that some of these same people that are using multiple identities on Facebook have also reviewed my book under multiple identities, making it look like there's more zero-star, one-star, or whatever it is, reviews than there actually are. Um, I had a review doing on my book before it was shipped. The book wasn't shipped yet. <laughs> <laughs> okay, man. You know, so you know, like, oh my god, that's a whole nother story. You know, it's, it's, it's been a learning experience, yeah. and uh, you know, I like I say, I only did one little post on on the the, the West Memphis Three, so I haven't dealt specifically uh, with those trolls. But on various other issues, um, I have definitely experienced it, and uh, it's uh, yeah, it's it's been it's been eye opening. It's been a very eye opening experience at what what lengths these people will go. To try to discredit you and or to try to rile you and or you know uh, what whatever means they can to try to make you look bad. 
Oh, oh, yeah, but with this, but and but that's with everything though. But but my experience though has been with this topic, the West Memphis Three topic. It just becomes so personal so fast. I even stumbled upon a, a website the other day that had uh, the top ten documentaries uh, that are going to change your life, going to make you feel real creepy, whatever it was. And one of them in there was about the West Memphis Three, and the guy described it as about these three guys who murdered these little kids. And right away, well, you better change your attitude. You better get your facts straight, mister. <laughs> you know, in all the comments, you know. This poor guy just, you know, saw a documentary. He doesn't realize that people live 24 hours a day on this subject and memorize every little minute detail and every little detail fact about this case. Yeah, I uh, I got the same thing. I mean, yeah, as soon as I put that post that people came flooding in, and they were people that hadn't previously, uh, that I hadn't previously, you know, seen uh pop up on the page they seem to be new people coming in just uh yeah just you know throwing out all kinds of false information uh, about uh about the case and then uh you know tr- trying their very best to uh to get me to to change my position or, or to just make me look bad or what you know whatever whatever they could do to try to uh you know marginalize my opinion on the case yeah but it's oh, much, I've just seen so much of that. I mean, a lot of it is like mind control techniques where it's like, you don't believe that, or how can you believe that? Or, yeah, I've seen, I've, I've been through uh, all of that stuff in, in all different varieties of uh, form, formats, whether it's Amazon, Facebook, whatever. Yeah, William especially, because William really uh, uh, points out the occult aspect of the case and the Satanism and the vampirism and all that kind of stuff like that. Whereas even guys like uh, Sean Wheeler, who was, uh, I think, one of the, the top experts in this case for years, always kind of poo-pooed the satanic, the occult elements behind these crimes. And William Ramsey, I just found him by accident on, on uh, YouTube, you know, and I says, whoa, this guy's, because I always knew it, man. I, I always saw it. I just felt it. And after getting to know these people, I, I knew that a lot of them were into it, too. Yeah. E- even, I mean, that's, that's the scariest element of the whole. Yeah, it really is. Yeah. One of the things, if you read his life after death, you know, so I had researched Crowley pretty thoroughly. And one of his uh, prime rituals is called the HGA rituals. It's the contact your holy guardian angel. And when I was reading Deckel's book, and he had actually mentioned it in there, in life after death, I was, I was like, that was the, the core giveaway because you'd have to have a very skilled and thorough understanding of Crowley to to actually know that ritual and to do it, you know. And, and you actually told me one time that, that you think that Eccles' family comes from a long family of uh, people involved in witchcraft and all this kind of stuff? I, yeah, I think his mother was. I think right. that the mother definitely was, and, uh, you know, it's it's like a uh, true detective or something like that. Like, it, there's, there's a lot more to the story. You know, the year after the murders, his mother... His father and his sister were at a bonfire on the Mississippi on the uh, bank of the Mississippi River, where somebody ended up getting shot. Right. And they covered. Ended up getting killed, and then the sister covered up the gun. But like, what are you doing out on the bank of the Mississippi River on a bonfire at 11 p.m. at night? You know? And that to me was like. So the family is clearly covering for him, they've got the they've got the standard kind of responses. There's a part of my book where I show that the mother was taking Eccles to bookstores to find specific books. Eccles has a very thorough knowledge of the occult, and he admitted it on the stand. I have a video of that, that he says, I mean, I think it was Davis who asked him, what, do you know about this? And he says, I know almost everything about the occult. Like, he admitted it right there. So yeah. his mom was uh, facilitating him. 
in his uh, occult interests. And you can tell that they knew what was going on. The family knew about the knives, the wands, the uh, staves with the staffs and the, um, you know, skulls that had been bleached. And, you know, they, they were very familiar. So... Right, right. He, um, he, had a, he had a rat skull, I think a dog skull in, in his room, or was it a cat skull? Something like that, or cats and dogs. There were tons yeah. of stuff. Between the time they were arrested and the murder, there were, uh, tons of stuff disappeared from the police. Like, he always had a trench coat and you know, knives. All that stuff was gone from both him and Jason. But up until that time, he was recorded as having all kinds of, you know, skulls and, yeah, all kinds of supplements for the occult. All right, guys, i got to read some live ads, okay? So you got a couple of minutes if you want to take a break. Uh, but uh, uh, when I get back, I want uh, William to get into William Ramsey, the author of uh, Abomination, um, uh, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murder, uh, to tell us about Because I know you've done a lot of work on Eccles since he's been out of prison. Here's this guy where he's in prison. He says, oh, I am a Buddhist now. I'm a Buddhist. <laughs> okay, you know, and then he comes out of prison, and now he's doing all his uh, uh, well, reeky healings. He's hanging out with guys from the Process Church, old time Process people, you know, all that kind of stuff. So, but we're here tonight with William Ramsey, author of Abomination, uh, Devil Worship, and Deception in the West Memphis Three Murder. Alistair Crowley, a visual study and, of and prophet. Of evil, Alistair Crowley, nine one one, and the New World Order, and good old Dave McGowan, uh, who's written Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon and Program to Kill. So we got two experts here on the occult, on uh, murder, uh, this conspiracy, everything you can want to get on this kind of topic. We have a, a stellar cast tonight. I know you've done a lot of work on Eccles since he's gotten out of uh, prison, and how he's hanging around with old time process guys. I'm really like a uh, big shots in the process church. Yeah, I mean, he was with a guy by the name of Genesis P. Orge, who's been around the process for at least 20, 30 years. Um, and he was in a movie that was in New York, and uh, there's even a picture of them together. Pretty heavy-duty connection. This guy's still doing process rituals and stuff like that. Eccles has, like, covered his body in black magic tattoos. He has, like, the same tattoo that... Uh, this one guy has from Red Dragon, the movie Red Dragon. It's like the, it's the the same kind of Chinese insignia. He's got that tattoo. He also has like a black dragon tattoo. But the most stunning tattoo is the one that they put on their his back. It seems like a lot of these guys have this black sun tattoo, um, and uh, it's pretty scary. I mean, so he's also you know doing all kinds of um, reiki work. He was he's actually been. He's tried to in integrate himself with yoga works out here in Los Angeles, believe it or not. He did something called Magic on the Map with a very well-known uh, yoga instructor. And uh, yoga works is really, you know, there's all kinds of yoga works studios out here in L.A., but uh, it seems like they got the, the message. And one of the uh, kind of studio shows that they were going to have out in L.A. got canceled, and, and that kind of that whole thing fell apart. Uh, for for Eccles, but uh, I have covered some of that material on my uh, on Facebook, and it's on West Memphis Three Facts is really a great site for anybody who wants to see some uh, truthful investigative work on the West Memphis Three. So West Memphis Three Facts on uh, on Facebook, or also West right. Memphis Three Truth. Um, also, Eccles his uh, you know he's still he's now in New York. Uh, he's associate. He's still doing kind of like artwork and associating with 
some, you know, uh, he's, he's, he's basically still sending out his interest in the occult. Uh, he's still making these even designed tattoos that he has, you know, shared with uh, Peter Jackson and uh, Johnny Depp. And Thieven, the Thieven kind of alphabet is known, also known as also the Witch's alphabet. alphabet. Just, he's, he's still he's kind of doing his own thing. He's got pictures of wands and, and crystal balls on his websites. And, uh, you know, he's still kind of continuing his, uh, you know, I think that that's his kind of identity, is this occult identity. And uh, he's still doing interviews. He's on CNN recently for his new book. And, uh, uh, yeah. Pretty amazing. Yeah, he was. Uh, he did a uh, book signing at Book Soup just uh, days after I did mine, actually. Um, except that his was not held in the uh, in the uh, bookstore where mine was. Uh, he was actually. They booked him into one of the local uh, theaters uh, so they could accommodate a much larger crowd, and they actually charged admission to. Uh, to go and see him and, uh, you know, get your book signed, which I've never, even, I've never heard of that to, uh, for an author to actually charge admission to a, uh, a book signing. And, uh, you know, my, my first thought was that, uh, that was designed to, you know, keep out all but the true believers, most likely, you know. What kind of crowd kind did, of he, crowd have did that? he have? That? I, I did not attend, so I, I, you know, I have no idea, but, uh, yeah, when I when they booked me um when they booked me a book soup, I was actually sandwiched in between um uh Tate, uh the Sharon Tate sister, uh who had recently written a book about her sister. What what's what is her name? I can't remember her name. Um Deborah, maybe? Deborah Tate or I don't remember, but she had just been there right before me, and uh, Damien Eccles uh, was was scheduled to appear just a day or two after me. So it was uh, kind of weird timing that I got sandwiched in between uh, the Manson murders and the uh, West Memphis Three murders. Yeah, that is a little yeah, creepy. Yeah, that is a little creepy. In my book soup appearance, yeah. Hey, let me ask a question. Hey, ask a question. I think we have a little uh, feedback. Uh, does everyone have their mute on, uh, Cindy and Zeta, uh, and uh, everyone has their mute um, um, just to go back at to some additional cold information during the trial, which I think the a lot of the books and the um, documentaries didn't go over. There was a discussion of the pentagram that Eccles had tattooed on his chest, and uh, you know I feature that in my book, and I think that's a, something that's critically important in understanding his interest in the occult prior to uh, the the murders, and also um, the uh, you know that. That is just to me like a, a really essential element that a lot of people have, have over have looked over um, as far as you know he's concerned. And also he's still he's writing again in this like book of shadows that uh, you know he's writing his spells and he wants to he said he wanted to you know do some great magical working. So he's uh, anybody in New York should probably know uh, he lives there now and be you know be concerned. Oh, he's no longer living in uh, Salem? I thought he was living in Salem. Yeah, I heard that they basically got run out of Salem. It's my understanding. Uh, I think that there was a whole, you know, blow up between him and Blatty on this uh, on this website, Salem Web. And I think most of the people in uh, most of the people in Salem came to, you know, to understand that you, they had a convicted killer, child killer, who was living in their town who was lying about it. And... Uh, it's my understanding they had to move to a 
to New York so they could kind of, he and his wife could be more anonymous. Ah, interesting, interesting. Yeah, I've also heard that there's a little trouble in paradise between him and Laurie because he seemed pretty cozy with that yoga lady. Really <laughs> was, cozy. Yeah, that was something. Now, the, the most recent pictures that I've seen, though, he, he's looking really, really skinny. I think it was with Sandra O. Oh, no, not Sandra O. Oh, uh, Margaret Chow, maybe. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. He was at a uh, some kind of radio show with Sarah Silverman. Right. Sarah Silverman, and he looked like he's. I mean, to me, I've seen people who are meth addicts. He looked like one. I, I really don't know what's going on. He's very pale. Yeah. I think by choice, you know, I mean, he, he seems to cultivate that, uh, you know, goth look or whatever you would call it. Um, so, yeah, and uh, kind of kind of odd. I mean, don't don't most inmates come out of prison all heavily inked up? I mean, it's kind of odd that, uh, you know, that he's been on like this tattoo run uh, for the last few years since he's uh, been out of prison. Like he just cannot... Uh, cannot cover his body with enough occult symbolism, it seems. One of the things, too, was the the turtle tattoos. Uh, Because one of the new theories that have come out is that some of the injuries on the children were done by turtles in in the water. (laughs) Yeah. And this guy has the balls to go out and get turtle tattoos. Oh, did he? Yeah. Wow. That's, um, yeah, not surprising, I suppose. Um, William, did Johnny Depp get matching uh, turtle tattoos as well? I don't know if he got turtle tattoos. They got some matching Thieven alphabet tattoo that um, the sigil that they used on the inside of the circle is uh, supposed to represent brothers. So he and Johnny Depp, and they made that statement publicly in interviews that, you know, Eccles considers Johnny a brother, and he's been with him all the way through the entire uh, event. And, uh, you know, if you follow Depp and his past, I think uh, his interest in the occult is blatantly obvious. I mean, it's amazing. His associations with certain people and uh, are pretty, uh, you know, pretty good evidence of what his interests are. Yeah, Hunter Thompson. Now, I think we discussed this in the past, uh, uh, David. What do you think about the accusations against Hunter Thompson? Uh, I tend to find them credible. You yeah. know, uh, yeah, the guy. You know, I never. I, you know, I was a huge fan once upon a time. I Me remember. Too. Uh, fear and loathing in Las Vegas, uh, you know, back in my drug fueled younger days and, you know, thought it was one of the greatest books I'd ever read in my life. You know? And, uh, but, um, you know, yeah, his, uh, you know, it's, I, I tend to find them credible. Uh, you know, I know, I know that there's, there's considerable controversy over those accusations, which first, I believe first appeared in, uh, John DeCamp's book, right? Uh, is Franklin, uh, cover-up book, I believe, um, and would came, come, came from uh, Paul Bonacci, I believe, right? One of the... And, you know, they, they've been very controversial, but, uh, you know, I, I tend to find them... I, find, I tend to find, find them credible and uh, believe that it may have been connected with his, uh, with his death, possibly. Yeah, if you want to re- uh, see a very interesting interview with... Uh uh, Hunter S. Thompson, it's online. It's the interview he did with David Letterman where he walked on stage and his his right hand's bandaged up. I would suggest uh, to you and your listeners just uh, Google that and take a look at that. It's pretty, it's pretty uh, damning and kind of verifies what he's all about. I've done some research on Thompson, and 
it's not pretty. You know. Yeah, he, I think he says I enjoy killing. Yeah, I like to kill. He basically says I like to kill. And then he also follows up at the end of the interview is uh, the best place to hide is in plain sight. Or I can't I can't remember his exact words. That's a paraphrase, but basically, you know, the best he the, you you got to see the interview. It's amazing. Yeah, sort of like a Jimmy Savile, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, and 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 Thompson, you know, when you read his books, it's, you know, if you're loathing on the campaign trail and all, because I've read all his books, man. You know, I was a bit, I, I, I some of his old books, man, I read them like ten times, you know, uh, and um, breaks my heart. I was a big Sarah Silverman fan too, uh, but you know, he, he he, you know, talks about hanging out with Jimmy Carter, you know, hanging out with the Richard Nixon, you know, so the guy had his access. Yeah, he was given considerable access to Nixon on the uh, campaign trail uh, when he wrote that book, and uh, you know, I mean, I mean, way back in the day, he, he was quite the icon of the uh, you know hippie uh, you know peace and love crowd, and um, the guy was actually quite the reactionary, you know, and and uh, you know quite a gun nut, and uh, you know he, he basically lived on on this armed compound, and. Uh, one, ran, I mean, for he had, sheriff, ran for sheriff and came close to winning, man. He shot someone, didn't he? Didn't he? Uh, wasn't there a, a controversial shooting on his compound at one time? I don't know if it was the shooting. He definitely was. Uh, somebody accused him of sexual assault in a hot tub on right. his compound. But he also lived on, like I think it was Parna- Mount Parnassus in San Francisco, and he used to shoot his gun out the window. And he also worked at the. Uh, was it the Fairley Theater? What was that theater that was in San Francisco? The Fair O'Farrells? Yeah, right? yeah, the brothers, yeah. Yeah, the Fair, and they the end up, one of the brothers ended up shooting the other one. Yeah, I, I didn't know that. Yeah. He was a doorman there. Oh, really? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, what? so he yep. And then the Hell's Angels, that whole bit. Yeah, yeah. He had, he had very curiously uh, easy access to uh, the Hell's Angels for a considerable length of time. Yeah, that was... Uh, you know, led by Sonny Barger, who was uh, almost assuredly a, a police slash FBI informant. Um, so yeah, you know, and, and his uh, his longtime attorneys in Colorado were the uh, the same law firm that that represented the Ramseys and uh, like the governor and uh, various other dignitaries in the in the uh, state of Colorado. So uh, you know, cu- curious choice for a uh, Law firm to be represented. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, there was a lot of aspects about him that didn't quite fit the, uh, you know, the mold of, uh, you know, who we're supposed to believe he was, and uh, and had a pre- had a pretty close uh, relationship with old Johnny Depp as well before uh, before he died, and with Don Johnson. Oh really? Oh yeah. <laughs> really, I didn't know that. Oh yeah. What's that? I didn't know that. Well, I guess you Google their names together, but I, I know they were they were hanging out together. Uh, but so, because you just had some information today uh, <laughs> that you just shared on your Facebook, can you want to share that <laughs> with us today? <laughs> well, it came up in conjunction with the uh, the Menendez uh, case, and um, somebody had emailed me to ask why I did not include in uh, weird scenes um, the 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 strange uh, life arc of, of Karen Lamb who um, who was one of Dennis Wilson's wives twice actually he married her twice in 1976 and then divorced her very shortly and then remarried her in 78 and um, 
But that that was the only information that I had uh, come across about her in, in all the research that I'd done on the Beach Boys. Uh, you know, I hadn't, hadn't come across any other ev- uh, any other uh, information about her. But as it turns out, after uh, after you know her time spent with uh, with uh, Dennis Wilson, she became a pretty close friend of Kitty Menendez, <laughs> and uh, was a good friend of hers when uh, her and Jose were. Uh, gunned down in their Beverly Hills mansion in uh, 1989 by uh, purportedly by the two sons, Eric and Lyle. And um, she actually uh, served as a, uh, got a production credit on the uh, TV miniseries that uh, was made on the Menendez brothers. So, uh, so there was an interesting little connection there between someone who had been, you know, kind of part of the Laurel Canyon scene and then later being connected to the, uh, you know, oh, wait, the we got a break coming up, man. What an early break, man. Okay, this is a nice long break, guys. You can go get a drink, do whatever you want, go to the bathroom, make a pizza. Uh, it's a really long break. It's like five, six minutes, so you can really uh, do what you want to do. Okay, we are here tonight with uh, Dave McGowan, a font of information. Uh, weird scenes inside the canyon and, and programs to kill. And also uh, William Ramsey, an expert on the occult and, and Crowley and, and uh, a, 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 a researcher and authority on Damien Eccles, man, and his occult involvement and stuff like that. Okay, we're here tonight with Dave McGowan, uh, Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon, Program to Kill, William Ramsey, Abomination, Devil Worship and Deception in the West Memphis Free Murder, Alistair Crowley, A Visual Study and Prophet of Evil, uh, Alistair Crowley, 9-11, and the New World Order. You know, one thing, uh, guys, um, that popped into my head, I made a note about it, uh, that maybe you guys know about it, maybe you don't, I don't, I don't know what brought it to my mind, but uh, Arliss Perry, uh, uh, the Aulis Perry case, because you know maybe I was thinking about it because we just both, uh, all three of us, got invited to that uh, that little top secret Maury Terry group. Uh, but uh, the Aulis Perry case, uh, what I found out recently was that her husband uh, became a therapist or a psychologist or something like that. And you know what he did, man? He was the guy who was uh, treating the kids from Waco. Really? Yeah. <laughs> that that's the gal that was uh ritually killed in in the chapel at, at what was it Stanford or something like that. Yeah, that was connected that that son of Sam, David Berkowitz brought up and said, "Oh yeah, that's a process case. He's the one that, you know, drew it into this whole thing." Uh but uh, her husband uh became a therapist, a big shot therapist, I suppose, I guess working for the FBI or what, who knows? And somehow he wound up to be the guy who was treating the kids at uh, Waco. Small world, isn't it? Yeah. You... <laughs> That's one way to put it. <laughs> that case is uh, really incredible. You know, I grew up in Palo Alto, so I, I was familiar with that uh, whole situation, the rumors. I had actually, I knew a lot of the people at the, uh, I grew up with a lot of the families of the people who worked at the law firm that she did uh, right before she died. And there was like something, I mean, that, that, all that case is in, um, Maury Terry's book, The Ultimate Evil. And, uh, you know, one of the elements of the case that was researched by him was that somebody came and talked to her at the law firm that people assumed was her husband. And then when they saw her husband or they saw the real husband at the, the funeral, they were wondering who that other person was at the law firm. Really? Yeah. Now, what's this thing you wrote, uh, The Process, The Crowleyans, and The Unsolved Murder about uh, all this period? That's a book you wrote? 
No, that's just an article I wrote about the Arliss Perry killing. Oh, yeah, we got to check that so, out, yeah. yeah. So the weird, interesting thing is she died on, like, a holy day of Crowley's, which was Crowley Moss. as a celebratory day of Crowley's birthday, which is, I can't find recollect, October 12th. Yeah. Um, so she died that, and, and the whole element of her, like, where her body was splayed out was very occult, and I don't, I can't confirm this, but um, she was splayed out on the altar. That was the real truth about the case, and they moved the body uh, from the altar to the side of the chapel just to kind of maintain the, the sanctity of the killing, or the sanctity of the church. Excuse me. Who did the place? Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. Yes, and then it was just an awful, it was just an awful... Uh, you know, and they, they somebody had played or displayed the, um, the like the genes of hers in some kind of occult uh, manner, where there was kind of like uh, the what you'd see on a like a Masonic sign, like as uh, basically the the compass and the square or whatever. It was like, uh, yeah, yeah. You have to kind of you have to. Um, uh, there's a. There's pictures of it on the on the article that I wrote, Process Crowley Moss and the Unsolved Murder of Arliss Perry. Yeah, that's what I heard. That very very heavily Masonic uh, symbolism that her legs were spread and then her pants were like uh, kind of crossed across them, representing the uh, Masonic. Uh, yeah. Square. So yeah. As above, oh so below, kind of iconography. Yeah, the kind of reverse chevron sort of design. Yeah. So what do you guys think, man? Uh, uh, me and William, uh, we've been attending this group on Facebook, you know, this top secret group, you know, uh, and different information, you know, coming from Maury Terry directly. Uh, but there seems to be like a new theory that uh, the process uh, are not really a satanic group, uh, but it's more like an intelligence agency group, uh, but they just have the satanic front in order to attract people that are, are kind of willing to do murders and sell drugs and pedophilia and stuff like that. Well, what do you, what's your guys' take on that theory? I, I yeah, I, I don't, I'm not, I don't know. I really don't know. I wouldn't have any, nothing that I've read about it is, has shown that to be the case. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, I, yeah, I don't, I, don't, I, I have not heard or read anything in that regard. Um, so uh, yeah, I couldn't can really comment on that. Um, but it sounds like uh, it sounds like spin, like damage control, but you know, um, without having uh, seen any 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 information in that regard, I couldn't really comment on it. Gotcha. Okay, uh, you know, one thing uh, I'm going to be have an upcoming show on is uh, the Jeffrey McDonald case. Uh, what are you, what are your guys' opinions on that? I've never studied it, so I really, I know I have a very topical understanding of it. Okay, what about you, Dave? Uh, you know, I read the book years ago, many, many, many years ago, Fatal Vision, uh, when it first came out, and, uh, you know, I was kind of a true crime buff in those days, or, or thought I was anyway. Um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> I didn't realize that everything I was reading was basically disinformation, but, uh, I remember reading the book and being absolutely convinced that, uh, you know, he was in fact guilty. And then later reading the counterpoint, which was Fatal Justice or, I don't know, some other book that was written. Taking false, witness. false witness. 
And um, you know, I've 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 looked into the case off and on, uh, and uh, you know, read compelling arguments on on both sides, and um, I I really don't know what to make of it at this point. Um, I, I really don't know. You know, it's interesting that uh, um, because there were people down there that weren't part of a satanic cult, you know, witchcraft cult, they called it uh, in this case. Um, and uh, it turns out, too, you know, that Colonel Aquino was stationed at Fort Bragg at that same time. Did you guys know that? No, uh, no. Yeah, okay. it all blows your mind, right? <laughs> turns out Colonel Aquino was stationed at Fort Bragg right around that same time. It wow. turns out that oh, a, a kid, there was another uh, child molestation scandal uh, at Fort Bragg around that same time as well, and they fingered Aquino on that. Um, fingered, they, they, uh, I date them. Um, and, uh, there was, uh, an, a cult, and this, this woman with the floppy hat and the black guy with, the, and the, the, the short haired guy with the soldiers, uh, the, the sergeant stripes on his army jacket, uh, were part of this, this cult. And who was their handler? Good old Ted Gunderson. He was the guy who was running these witnesses and controlling these witnesses, you know? And I don't know if I told you guys this story. I knew Ted Gunderson, you know? And, uh, but I don't know if I told you the story about how when I spoke to Jackie Magooley, uh, who was the mother from the, um, uh, the, you know, uh, McMartin, yeah, the McMartin case, you know, she was dating Gunderson. He was living at her house. And I, yeah, I was chatting with her on, fa- on uh, Facebook back in AOL, back in those days, a long time ago, like 97. And uh, she said, okay, call me up on the phone. In fact, she thought I was Alex Constantine. <laughs> okay, when we were chatting online, because I, I was so obsessed with his work, man, I, I had it all memorized, you know. So I contacted her, and we started talking about Gunderson, and she told me, she says, well, you know, Ted Gunderson talks on the phone to Colonel Aquino every day. Wow. And I said, he does, and I was a big fan of Gunderson at the time, and I says, why? Why would he do that? And she goes, I, it makes him feel important. You know, but he was on telephone contact with Colonel Aquino every single day. And I don't know if you guys are familiar with the accusations now from uh, Stu Webb and that circle uh, against Gunderson. Uh, go, uh, tell, tell me about it. Well, he talks about how Gunderson married, I think it was uh, Anton LaVey's ex-wife or something like that, and that Gunderson was fired from the FBI for doing satanic rituals and all kinds of bizarre stuff. And Stu Webb lived with him. Uh, Stu Webb uh, lived with Gunderson here in Las Vegas, and I was involved in some litigation uh, in a case uh, out here uh, that Gunderson was on the same case as I was, and he was actually kicked off the case because he wasn't licensed here in Nevada, which is really unusual because you can work for for a lawyer uh, without having a local license, Uh, but he was uh, barred barred from the case by the DA's office and by the judge, and that was Stu Webb was behind it. (laughs) <laughs> Stu Webb got mad at him and ratted him out in, in the court case there and got him thrown off the case. Huh. I, I, I also spoke to uh, Jackie Magali. I'm pretty sure it was her. One of the McMartin moms, I'm uh, 90% sure it was Jackie Magali. Uh, many, many years ago, uh, she called me on the phone. Uh, probably about the time that I was doing the research on, uh, on what would become uh, the Program to Kill book, and I was looking into the McMartin case and the Finders case and the Presidio Preschool case and, uh, you know, uh, various other uh, high-profile cases of that nature. And uh, she leveled some pretty serious accusations against uh, Gunderson uh, when I spoke with her. And 
basically told me that he had come in kind of posing as the white knight, you know, that was going to, you know, fight for her and, and whatnot and, uh, you know, publicize her story and, and ended up, uh, sabotage, you know, trying to sabotage her research and her files, according to her. And, uh, and and tried to poison her. According oh, really? To, was slowly poisoning. She said, and uh, and various other things. I mean, she she made some pretty substantial allegations uh, against him. Yeah. So, uh, well, you, you know, know she, that that's one. We believe she's dead now. Story, but what's that? We believe that Macaulay's dead now. Oh, is she? That's what Stu Webb says, and I, I've I've located her home. Uh, there's uh, at least a, a year ago when I was working on this. Uh, when I heard the whole Stu Webb accusation, when 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 I heard the Stu Webb accusations about a little about a year, oh, about eighteen months ago, I said, "Oh crap!" I said, "That's exactly what Jackie McGauley told me." And Jackie McGauley told uh, Stu Webb the same stuff she told me. Uh, but now, uh, and also too, I think the, they were friends too. Um, but uh, when I asked Stu Webb, "Hey, I want to get in contact with her," I've emailed her. She doesn't open the emails. He says she's dead. Uh, I've looked her up. I found her address. There's still a home under her name. Uh, that was about a year ago, 18 months ago. Um, I never got around to mailing, you know, sending a letter or anything like that, too. But she's definitely falling off the radar. She's not talking to anybody. And uh, according to Stu Webb, she's dead. It's quite possible. I mean, it was, it was a long time ago because, you know, Program to Kill was published in 2004, 10 years ago. And so the, the research I did on it was done, like, you know, 11, 12, 13 years ago. So uh, it, it's been quite quite a while since I spoke with her. And... Uh, she actually uh, mentioned a couple other people too that uh, that you know had kind of come to her as uh, you know under the guise of uh, trying to help her and you know guys who had reputations as, as being you know the good guys who she felt very victimized by and uh, so she was she was very skeptical of me right you know because she basically had a track record of, of trusting these you know internet uh, figures who you know appeared to be fighting the good fight and then she let them get close and they end up uh you know doing exactly the opposite uh, according to what she told me so but you know that that was uh yeah that was many many years ago and i never uh never had any contact with her again after that so i have no idea but at that time she was still living down in the in the beach city area and i grew up down there i grew up down in Torrance, so not not far from uh, from where it happened there in hermosa beach so that that's that was my old stomping grounds now, and so I know the area very well. Um, but yeah, I, I have no idea whether she's uh, what what it, whatever became of any of the uh, McMartin parents at this point in time. It's been good many years now. Well, yeah, well they they fought an uphill battle uh, because you know uh, good old uh, Oliver Stone, you know, uh, produced that movie starring uh, James Woods, you know, and good yeah. old James, oh. yeah. HBO. The only time time HBO decides to weigh in on a uh, supposed miscarriage of justice case, it's always on the wrong damn side. Yeah. yeah. Martin in a very high-profile way and with the uh, West Memphis Three in a very high-profile way. um, Very interesting. Just serving up massive amounts of disinformation and just massively misrepresenting the case. Yeah, HBO's good at that. Well, I know that uh, Alex Constantine contacted uh, uh, Oliver Stone and told him, "Hey, man, you, you know you're on the wrong track here, you know." 
And uh, two of the, you know, there's accusations and allegations against two of the screenwriters of that uh, McMartin movie, the one that starred James Woods, who happened to be involved in, in the, the 9-11 hijacking you know, rehearsals, and also had, you know, had uh, the run of the place at the O.J. Simpson trial, was able to just show up at the O.J. trial and, and go back and talk to the judge. What? Yeah, who was that? Seriously creepy guy. James Woods. No, but who were the writers? Oh, the, the, the two writers on there, according to Alex Constantine, uh, had a history of um, uh, being involved in, in child pornography. Oh, and like the, Everly, the Everly guy? Yeah. yeah. And, and they're involved with that false memory uh, syndrome thing, too, which, uh, you know... They wrote that movie that Oliver Stone and uh, Woods was in? Yeah. Oh, I didn't know they, they wrote that. I know that. Yeah, Everly was like a... He had a child pornography magazine or something like that, right? Yeah, well, then those are the guys, yeah. Tabloidy newspaper kind of thing, yeah. Wow, and there was, you but know, I, the McMartin case had a lot of... They were the credited screenwriters on that... Uh, that uh... It, well, we'd have to look it up, but I know there was a connection, okay, huh. um, uh, between them and this. Uh, and, but the screenwriters... I, 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 I think it was called Indictment, wasn't it? Yeah, because the screenwriters, I, I talked to Sean Stone about this on the air, and I said to him, I says, hey, man, what's the scoop with your dad You know, doing that thing? And he started going into, oh, well, I'm friends with Douglas Teacher, Kendall Douglas Teacher, all this kind of stuff like that. And it was just you know, running around in circles. But um, And I mentioned, I says, hey, you know, the screenwriters in that had those allegations as well, and he knew what I was talking about. So, And I'm, I'm getting that all from my reading of Alex Constantine back in the old days. That, Let me ask you a question. There was so much to that case. There oh, were, forget like, it. The, the chief complainant, the mother died early of supposed alcohol stuff, and there was a couple other deaths of people who died mysteriously. I think one of the cops died. Suicide, yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, but yeah. also, too, that all the kids had the same STD. A couple yeah, of people died like... I think, yeah, I don't think the kids ever denied it. A lot of them were still adults today and said it happened, you know? Yeah, but when you look around to look for... Well, I'm trying to get a guest to come on my show and talk about that case, and the only people you could find publicly are the ones who have recounted and said, oh, it's all fake. There, there, there's something came out a few years ago where they, and now it's conclusive that it was all fake. Uh, but, you know, from my talks with Jackie McGooley and, and Alex Constantine, I believe the, the case is legit for, for sure, you know. Uh, the, the, the tunnel reports, you know, uh, and then other people I've talked to. And, and then even, even Aquino has a connection to that case, the kids... Uh, um, I didn't know that. How how does he have a connection? I believe some of the kids in that case said that the, uh, they were taken to a room uh, that was painted all black that had a cross on the ceiling, which a lot of people talk about, uh, which is the Aquino apartment in San Francisco. They were transported to San Francisco? Yeah, th- th- those kids in McMartin talk about getting on a plane and stuff like that. Just oh, like, oh. you know what, you know, a lot of people overlook this though, man, but this kid in, in the Michael Jackson case was being flown around on a private jet. This last kid who made these accusations, the, the, the Arvino kid. Uh, yeah, you know, we were just talking about that today. Because uh, Jamie Masada was involved in hooking that kid up with Chris uh, Tucker. Why does Chris Tucker have a private plane? <laughs> you know what I mean? The guy's a comedian. He's not that big of a comedian. He has his own private jet, you know, and that, that he uses to fly around little kids to meet Michael Jackson? That is bizarre. That is totally bizarre. Well, that's, that's that's the same way it was in the uh, Nebraska situations. Those guys were all being flown around D.C., Vegas, California. 
and the the Jeffrey Epstein case as well. Uh, you know, his his flight log showed that he was flying kids around the country uh, as well, along with various celebrities and and high profile politicians, people like uh, Bill Clinton and Kevin Spacey. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, yeah. Nick uh, Nick Bryant did a lot of research into that, and. Uh, Actually wrote up a, a pretty detailed piece on it, which he sent to me and various other people, and which he tried to get uh, published, but uh, was never able, last I heard, to uh, find anyone that was uh, willing to publish it. And uh, he had possession of his uh, private phone book, his black book, uh, that listed, you know, like all kinds of uh, big names in Hollywood and Washington that, uh, you know, he had direct... Uh, direct phone numbers direct contact with and uh yeah the guy was was basically a very high level uh procurer and transporter of uh kids for the uh you know the rich and famous wow that's amazing yeah i've read some parts of the epstein case and he had this girl who was kind of like his procurer she would go out and make friends with the the, per, the victims and it just yeah it's that that whole there's so much more to that epstein story that all got covered up a lot of it did. Well, you know what? I'm not familiar with that story at all, but I'd love to get that guy on the, on the show. I got I got blasted for uh, for mentioning the, that he had a uh, that he had ties to Woody Allen, and that the two were you know photographed uh, at one time walking uh, walking down uh, the streets of Manhattan together, uh, Woody Allen, and uh, you know, of course, who's who's uh, you know. Uh, long been accused of, uh, pedophilia himself, which, you know, his defenders, uh, heatedly deny. And, uh, so yeah, I got blasted for, uh, for, for drawing a connection between Epstein and, and Woody Allen on, uh, that was an- another, another little controversy I stepped into. Uh, yeah, Woody Allen's defenders are quite, quite yeah. vocal. Well, He's Woody Allen, though, in his very well-loved guy. I mean, people just just love him, and you know, want to see every movie that he makes, and they don't want to hear that maybe he's, uh, you know, not the great guy that they want to think he is. Yeah, but in his custody litigation, he was ruled; uh, they ordered he was not allowed to see his child because the alleg- there was enough weight to the allegations, and he never fought it. Yeah, well, you I mean again, just like in the West Memphis Three cases, supporters tend to misrepresent, you know, yeah. what, what what the actual you know court results findings were, you know, and and they like to claim that he was fully exonerated, you know, and uh, that you know the investigations and trials and whatnot cleared him, and you know, and um, yeah, it's the same kind of thing, you know. I mean, uh, yeah, you know, the, these people tend to be protected, <laughs> so you know. <sighs> A lot of them have a lot of PR. A lot of those, a lot of that stuff is like fake, you know, astroturf, you know, supporters. A lot of these guys put money down and put it into a pot, and it gets sent out to guys who will, you know, support them from telephone banks and computer banks somewhere, you know, some offices. And that's really a lot of it to me is fake, just like the West Memphis Three. You know, I don't know what happened with all that money that they raised. I wonder if they're still spending it on the. Uh, you know, on the PR that they're getting, I, I don't know, but they should report a lot. I mean, just you know, all of these, uh, all of these major Hollywood stars getting involved and in putting on charity concerts and, and you know, donating the proceeds from films and 
And there, there just had to be just a massive pool of money available to uh, you know achieve their goals. And um, it's estimated at twenty million dollars. Twenty million dollars. Wow. Girls, you know, I mean, I mean, the guy acts like he's a Hollywood celebrity himself, and it wouldn't surprise me at all if he doesn't ultimately end up being one. You know, I, I, I wouldn't be surprised to see this guy start. You know. Getting some kind of, you know, either actor or producer or director or something, you know, um, I, I would not be at all surprised to, to see him become a, you know, a big player in Hollywood in the next 10 years or so. Yeah, he just has to stay out of trouble till to, uh, 2021 when his probation ends. Well, and it seems like they have a free ride on that because the other guy, Miskelly, from what I understand, uh, he's, he never leaves his trailer down there in Arkansas. Uh, but he's had all kinds of domestic violence stuff going on there, and he's untouchable. Oh, really? Yeah, I've never seen anything about the other two. I, um, you know, I, I, I've heard hardly a word about what uh, what they've done with their lives since getting out. From what I understand, is Miskelly is holed up in a trailer with his girlfriend, and uh, Baldwin runs around uh, talking to uh, bar associations and legal conventions and stuff like that. And he wants to do the legal end of it. And then Eccles is the showbiz and the and the the Reiki and the tarot cards and all that kind of stuff. Baldwin yeah. um, raised twenty five thousand dollars on a Kickstarter campaign to write his memoirs. It was more than that. It was like thirty three, man. Uh, it was yeah. Well, it, probably suckers. God, I can't, can't, you couldn't believe that. Holy smokes. Miskelly's probably scared he's going to turn up dead, which wouldn't really surprise me if he did. Actually, you know. Um, yeah, now that you mention it, he is the loose, uh, the loose link there, man. He, yeah, he's, yeah. Like, he's got the loose lips, man. He's the one who talks. He's like, how many confessions has he had? Like six, seven? I haven't even figured out the accurate number. Yeah, it's up um, there. Yeah. Just some follow-up information. Um, I had there's a, a stepbrother of one of the uh, guys who was investigated, Buddy Lucas, who has been talking a lot on West Memphis Three Civil Discussion, and he said that Eccles, he's friends with Eccles' dad, Joe. And he was told by Joe directly that Damien Eccles confessed to the crime to him. So Damien Eccles told his dad he did it, who told this guy, uh, Wade, Wade Davis, I think is his name. And then, uh, this guy knows, if you want to see some interesting new information, this guy knows, uh, a lot of the players. So he has a lot of information about, um, the parents. And, uh, it's, it's pretty shocking, actually. That's it. Maybe we can get him to call in. Yeah, his name is, let me just find it, hold on. You know, I had an interesting thing, too. This guy who told me he was from their family uh, contacted me through Facebook. I think I even sent you uh, some links that he was talking about. He was the finder of lost children, all the misfit toys, you know, this, this bizarre stuff he was writing to me. And then he tells me he's related to Eccles. He had the last name Eccles on his uh, Facebook page. And I said, okay, give me your phone number. And he went out and bought a prepaid phone. And it, when he first gave me the number, it was like, well, in one day, he gave me the number. There was no voicemail set up on it yet, you know. And then finally, you know, I'm talking to him. And I said, well, let me check out. And I checked out. I traced the number. And I found out that the, the phone had just been purchased that same day. The guy went out and, and got a new fake number for me. Wow. That's, huh. that's a pretty elaborate, <laughs> you know, hoax <laughs> to talk to some guy, you know, on an 11 o'clock in the afternoon Thursday uh, radio show, you know. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. You're, you're talking earlier about 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 Echo's family being involved, and and the family came up again. Um, 
I've heard that uh, that they absolutely were, and, the, and that the, uh, he basically is a product of a multi generational uh, cult family. Um, with, uh, from what I've heard, with close ties to the L.A. area, is that is that true? Have you guys heard anything about that? Well, Dominique Tier, his girlfriend at the time, Dominique Tier, had just returned from California. From I think it was her cousin's house, T.J. Tier. T.J. Tier was at the time uh, a vampire, uh, drank blood, uh, was had a, a, a vampire magazine that she published. Then she became the spokesperson for vampires, the big giant vampire organization out of Transylvania. She was a spokesperson for this for years and years and years. Then she got involved in the furry movement. You know, the furries, the people that like to have sex dressed up as, in costumes like uh, <laughs> at Disneyland and stuff like that. You can't make this stuff up. That's this woman here, TJT. Look her up, man, uh, and, uh, and her associations and stuff. And Dominique Tear said, she says, yes, yeah, so what? I drink blood. My mother drinks blood. My whole family drinks blood. It's no big deal. That's what she said to the cops. Wow. Yeah, and there's a, there's a, I have a video of Eccles saying, you know, I don't drink blood, I lick. And then he, like, basically sticks his tongue out. I mean, he's yeah. basically admitting to drinking blood, and that's all through the whole case is that he's constantly drinking blood, and he says, makes me feel like a god and all this other stuff, you know? Yeah, it's it's all in in the uh, whatever that case file number is. The the exhibit five hundred. Yeah, yeah. There's uh, there's no shortage of of damaging information about old Damien in there, and and his his keen interest in the occult, and his propensity for violence, and and for making violent threats, and for drinking blood, and uh you name it trying to recruit fellow inmates into into the cult and just uh you know all kinds of stuff that his supporters like to overlook yeah just the fact that he you know i don't think there's any denial that he stomped on that doberman pincher and jumped on it till it died you would think that people would just be upset about the animal abuse you know because I know, that's a, <laughs> you know? people I mean, get more upset about that than anything else you know i mean you you can watch a hundred hundred videos of uh cops you know beating a snot out of somebody but uh Show, show them a video of a cop shooting a dog and people go ballistic. Well, leave a dog in a car with the window cracked and you know, they're going to come kick your ass. You know, forget it, man. Uh, yeah, I know. Well, I'm the same way, you know. I mean, I, I love my dog to pieces. Yeah, we all love dogs, you know. Dog but, but, you know, you got little kids getting raped and mutilated, you know, mutilated, uh, you know, and, uh, my God. I mean, yeah, the the violence towards uh, animals and the uh, you know trying to gouge the kids' eyes out and the blood drinking episodes and just you know all kinds of uh, all kinds of stuff that's it's all spelled out very clearly in black and white and admitted into the into the trial record by his own attorneys, right. which is the thing that the. Uh, you know that that his supporters like to overlook. You know they they want to cast this as a sensational trial where they were throwing out all of these wild, you know, a, a witch hunt accusations and whatnot. And uh, I like to overlook the fact that a lot of that stuff went into evidence from from his own uh, defense team after he was convicted in an attempt to show him to be too crazy to be executed, basically. 
Um, so, you know, that, that wasn't, that wasn't even stuff that was entered by the state. It was by his own defense team, you know. That, you know, and we have Sean Wheeler to thank too, by the way, for, uh, talking to the DA's office and getting a hold of that Exhibit 500 and putting it out on the internet because before that no one had it. Wow. Oh, really? That's oh, yeah. Do you know that as recently as 2007, his attorneys were, um, arguing in the, in the court that he was, uh, he shouldn't be put to death be, by reason of insanity. No, I didn't know that. Yeah, so it wasn't that long ago that his art, his attorneys were arguing that, and I still have yet to ascertain how many attorneys he has had. It's just, it's like he's had yeah, seven he's or eight people blow out. Or well, what about that whole business about where the the guy in the next cell, uh, they had they had actually <laughs> cut a hole in between the cells. And he was sneaking into the other guy's uh, cell, and they were having sex. And then he sued, saying that it was unconsensual sex. He sued the prison. Correct. The guy's name was Gardner. He was a uh, a fellow death row inmate, and he was put to death. But Eccles was trying to manipulate uh, the jail into getting better privileges or something like that. But his argument was that there was a brick that was missing, like a large, sizable brick, and they were crawling through, but... Um, some, yeah, it's, it, it, there's no way that he could have snuck into the next cell, but, um, yeah, I can't some, imagine, uh, I can't imagine how, how prison officials could overlook a hole that big in a death row. Cell. Oh, death row, yeah. How was well, then, then he was interviewed, he was interviewed for, uh, what was it, Law TV or whatever that old, Court Law TV. Legal, Court TV, thank you. He was interviewed and they were questioning him about it and he basically admitted that, I can't remember his exact words, but he basically said, that's all I had to go on, you know. I was just, you know, that was my attempt at, at delaying. Well, what so, about the one where he's being interviewed and he says, and my teeth, my teeth were so infected and so rotted that I lost all my teeth. And then the woman says, but you have your teeth. <laughs> yeah, I know. You're still in prison and you, I know. The, the guy lies constantly about his prison experiences and, and, you know, contradicts himself constantly, you know what I mean? By, by, by his own words, you can yeah. tell that he's lying. You know, like he loves to talk, he, I've heard him say repeatedly at different appearances how he had to live in fear, you know, the whole time that he was in prison that somebody was going to come up behind him and shank him in the back and, and what a relief it, what it is to, to be able to live a normal life and just go out to a movie and not have to be constantly afraid that someone's going to shank him, you know. And yet, in almost the same breath, he's claiming that he was held in, uh, in an isolated cell with, and not allowed any human contact at all, you know, deprived of any human. And I'm thinking, well, kind of hard to get shanked if there's nobody else around, isn't it? So you know, so he repeated that exact claim on... Lies um, repeatedly about his prison experiences. Look you know, at the, the, the Piers Morgan interview. He says that exact same thing. Does and, he? And then you know what? His wife shakes her head like she knows he's lying. It's an amazing interview. Look at the Piers Morgan interview. He puts his finger up to his mouth and makes the sign of silence, like the occult sign of silence. It's, and they're just BSing. And then Piers Morgan is in on it. He's like, I can't believe you would ever be convicted you don't look like a bloodthirsty child murderer and then you look at his face and there's this pale gaunt looking child <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah, larry king too larry king gave him a free ride bill maher uh bill maher is that the guy i'm thinking of it was Mo also m-o-h-r yeah that guy yeah i got the right guy right 
Yeah, I forgot his first name, but yeah, he's, he's fawning over him, man. Like you know, my God, what was going on in that? In that, uh, I'm talking about the guy who writes the the uh, blogs about the Real Housewives of uh, New Jersey and stuff like that. I don't know that. Yeah, it's it's if it's yeah. that's his name, Bill Moore. You know, uh, but anyway, he, he had his own little. Talking yeah. about the the HBO Jay Moore. Jay Moore. Right? Yeah, Jay Moore. That might be it. Yeah. The comic Jay Moore. Yeah. yeah. There's a long interview with him and Eccles. Oh, I didn't know that. Oh, he's fawning oh. over him, man, like you wouldn't believe it. Oh, really? You know, I, he had a TV show years ago that I loved. And, uh, you know, it gets harder and harder to enjoy any kind of entertainment anymore, you know, whether it's music or TV or movies. When, when you, when you, when you learn, you know, who and what these people really are, you know, it's, it's, it gets harder and harder to de- detach your brain and, 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 and watch these people on your TV and think of it as entertainment, you know? Yeah, and and like you guys were saying, you know, about the the PR departments and their agents and their lawyers and stuff like that. Uh, these these major celebrities, they can cover things up and they can get stuff silenced, you know, cuz even cases I was working on, you know, when I was doing all those big celebrity cases, you know, like like the, the Ashton Kutcher thing, you know, where the first girlfriend Britney uh, Jones uh, uh yeah, Britney Jones that whole thing, even though we had the proof, it just came Oh no, no, no we can't talk about it. It's done. They're going to he's denied it. His lawyers are involved. The whole thing's uh, uh, shut up, you know, and was just poo-pooed away. But it wasn't until he got caught with the second girl, uh, then, then that Demi Moore divorced him and they got divorced, that it, it came out that, yeah, the first girl was telling the truth, uh, too. You know, so th- these guys, they have power, man. They can flip a switch, man, and get a, a story shut off and, uh, and, and play the way they want it. Yeah. yeah Unfortunately. So, yeah. The, the media is controlled even by these these satanic cults yeah pretty much i mean they they're they're definitely protected uh yeah i mean the media definitely serves to uh protect them and uh and they're also just protected by the fact that the 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 whole concept of it is just so outrageous to people you know the whole notion that these people who are who are beamed into their living rooms uh you know on a regular basis whether they're you know film stars or tv stars or or newsmen or politicians or whatever uh could actually you know lead a life a secret life that is just so far removed from what we you know perceive as being 21st century life that uh they're they're kind of protected in a sense by by just you know how i just you know, the, how, absurdity. How the, the absurdity is, you know? the idea that the tiny tim yeah the tiny yeah, tim is yeah. You know, people don't want to believe it, even even when when uh, when there are, when cracks do form in the facade and, and you get a peek at the reality. People just people do not want to believe it because it's just so far removed from their everyday reality. You know, very true. Yeah, but how far removed is it really? Because when you look at this uh, uh, the uh, the Cartoon Network in the middle of the night, what is it called? Adult Swim or something like that. Uh, there was just a, there was something posted today in that uh, that Maury Terry group uh, where they had subliminal messages talking about how uh, Baphomet, you know, and, and the Illuminati's in control it, in the the commercial for this Adult Swim uh, uh, on this Cartoon Network in the middle of the night. It's just unbelievable. Yeah, it does become more and more overt, uh, you know, every day, and uh, you know, particularly in in uh, 
in these real high profile uh, music videos and, and right. performances, like the Super Bowl halftime show and and the big, uh, you know, the big showcase uh, performances that, like the Grammy Awards and the Emmys and whatnot have uh, they've just become showcases in recent years for just blatant. Uh, occult and masonic symbolism you know it's just like shoved right in your face yeah and kids you know like my daughter's age like 14 years old they all know you know about the illuminati and you know and all this kind of stuff like that yeah it's you know you know i don't know like you know what what are we doing man like when we're doing all this research and thinking that we're brilliant because we're finding out this information are we really finding this out or that are they feeding it to us and just to get it out in our faces, to rub it in our face in some kind of way. I, you know, I wonder about that myself sometimes. You know, I'm like, you know, uh, people ask me, you know, are, are are you scared? You know, do you get threats? Do you get harassment? Do you get, you know, this and that and that? And you know, and, and the reality, the truth is that I, I really don't. I lead, I lead a pretty normal, you know, day to day life uh, for the most part. And um, you know, I know that I'm not working for them. You know, as, as far as I know from. You know, but but I sometimes wonder if uh, if the information that I'm putting out there is actually information that they want out there. And, and while I think I'm doing this great job, you know, to save humanity, um, maybe I'm maybe I'm doing what they want me to do. You know, I. It's, I'll tell it's, you one thing about you, Dave. A lot of people I've talked to have read your book, like Hank Harrison, the father of Courtney Love, like Mark Rudd from the the, the Weather Underground. Uh, it, it seems like, and, and you know. These people like we're a little iffy about, you know. <laughs> like you know, they, when I bring you up, man, you know, everyone's heard of you and everyone's read the book. Uh, well, it certainly seems to be getting around. Yeah, you know, it's. Um, I, I'm just. I'm amazed day by day when I check on Amazon to see how many uh, how many reviews it's gotten. You know, I mean, if, if you were just going just based on the Amazon reviews. You'd think this. You'd probably think this thing was like a nationwide bestseller, you know, by all the uh, by all the attention it's getting, both pro and con. Mm. You know, uh, the majority of the reviews are very, very positive. Like 75 percent of them are five star reviews, and and then uh, most of a lot of the rest are, are one star, with not a whole lot in between. But uh, so it's a it's a book that people feel very very passionate about one way or the other. You know, the people people that have discovered it feel uh, feel very passionate about it, and uh, and that that's very evident from the uh, from the reviews. Some of which are just so over the top; they're just I can't even read them. They're just like embarrassing. You know, <laughs> just like uh, you know, maybe these people want to put me up on a pedestal. And uh, so yeah, it's. Um, it's definitely, uh, you know, I mean, considering that it has no mainstream support whatsoever, you know, I, I've just done alternative radio and, you know, podcasts and whatnot. And, uh, you know, it's got no mention whatsoever from, from, you know, print media, radio, television, anything else. Um, you know, but considering that, it seems to really be reaching a lot of people and uh, really resonating with a lot of people. So, hey, you were on WBAI, right? How, how'd that go? Was it, I don't know what all I've been on, man. I've been I've done I've done probably fifty interviews since the book came out, with most of them being like two hours long. So, you yeah. know, probably close to a hundred hours of uh, of interviews, and they all just kind of blend together after a while. You know, it's uh, I, I feel like I'm on 
just on, on uh, just sort of on auto mode sometimes, you know, and there's, oh, here's this question again. Okay, I know the answer to that one. <laughs> I've got that one well rehearsed. And, uh, yeah, I've just, you know, I've, I've, I've done so many similar interviews. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Book that it, it's really hard to keep track of who's who. Okay. Now, William Ramsey says he's going to hang out and take calls. Jay McGowan sometimes, you know, I know he works hard during the day and it becomes a long day, <laughs> you know, but he's such a good guy. You know, he kind of owes me seven minutes. The last show, uh, <laughs> I, I, my, my internet cut out. What do you think, Dave? Can you hang out a little while? I can hang for a little bit, not too much longer, because I do have an engagement I have to get ready for this evening. But I can I can stay till like I don't know seven fifteen or so. Dude, no pressure, like- no pressure, man. Whatever you can give me, great. I appreciate it, man. Thank you. Okay, I'm just kidding around. Hey, but um, uh, Dave McGowan, author of Weird Scenes Inside the Canyon and Program to Kill. Hey, Dave, man, tell us about Program to Kill. Now that's a fascinating uh, uh book. Program, yeah, it's, um, you know, until, uh, until Weird Scenes came out, it was probably the thing that I was most, uh, known for, and, uh, Weird Scenes seems to have very quickly eclipsed that, but, uh, it's still a book that I'm very proud of, even though it's, it's 10 years old, it's, uh, not really dated, it doesn't, uh, you know, it's, it's information that's still very new and fresh to most people. And, uh, basically it's an alternative look at the phenomenon of, uh, serial killers and, uh, whether the, you know, what, uh, what we have been led to believe a serial killer is, is, is in fact the, uh, the reality. And, um, yeah, it's, um, it's, uh, definitely a very controversial book, probably more so than, than, than my, uh, newest one. And, um, but, uh, but the, uh, one that I'm, that I'm very, very proud of, and, and then, like I say, I think still it, it definitely still uh, holds up, <coughs> and um, is definitely still very relevant and, and current. And um, you know, it delves into themes of the occult and, and uh, pedophilia and, and uh, just intelligence operations and all of, all of those kind of uh, weird uh, weird themes that, that uh, bisect and overlap. And, um, did you ever get a yeah. chance to watch that movie I told you about with the son from the BTK, uh, killer, uh, from that first murder? He did a documentary. I, have, I survived BTK. I have it on my Netflix queue, but have not yet gotten around to, uh, Dude, watch you got it. it. You gotta watch it, man. Yeah. Uh, watched yeah. it. And, uh, you know, the weird, the weird thing about serial killers is that, uh, you don't really hear much about them anymore, yeah. you know? I mean, they, they kind of arrived in the, the late 60s, early 70s with a, with a big splash. And I mean, before that, we didn't, didn't even have a name for them. You know, that was coined by the, uh, by the FBI's behavioral sciences unit in the early 70s when we came up with the term serial killer to describe, you know, this phenomenon that seemed to just be, you know, happening all across, all across the nation. And, uh, and you know, for a while, all of these like celebrity serial killers, you know, these big names, these these, these big name boogeymen that, that survive to this day in, in popular imagination, you know, names like Ted Bundy and John Wayne Gacy and, uh, <coughs> you know, Jeffrey Dahmer and the Hillside Stranglers and the, the Night Stalker and, you know, on and on and on. And you don't really hear about that anymore. I mean, you know, it, it's very, very rare that you... Uh, 
you know, I, I can't remember when the last time that we had, you know, a real, the last big one was probably like BTK and even that wasn't all that recent. Um, so, uh, you know, th- there was, there was a time, uh, a definite time era when, when serial killers just seemed to be everywhere and, uh, you know, kind of came out of nowhere and then seemed to be everywhere. And nowadays it seems like that's, that's, that's died down to a great deal. And now what we get instead is, uh, you know, these spree killers and, and, uh, you know, homegrown terrorists supposedly, you know, bombing the Boston Marathon or shooting up a movie theater or a, a school or, or whatever. <laughs> and that's that's really taken the place and really s- serves largely the same function that serial killers once did and uh and nobody nobody really questions that you know why why serial killers became this huge uh you know everyday kind of phenomenon for a you know period of you know 20 years or so and then uh you know and and now seems to have uh you know that seems to have largely passed, and now instead we have you know these spree shootings as as a daily occurrence, and and that's accepted as you know it's it's just remarkable to me really that that people just accept stuff like that as you know the stuff just like comes out of nowhere, and the next thing you know it 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 seems to be a part of our daily existence, and and people just readily accept it and don't question why and don't question what purpose that could possibly be serving for the state. Yeah. Oh, hey, well, that's it, man. We're going to leave uh, freedomsips.com and Hazy Radio. Uh, happy anniversary, guys. Uh, thank you very much. But if you want to Skype in, okay, Skype in and talk to William Ramsey or for a few minutes, Dave McGowan, it's a big chance to talk to some really experts on these topics. Skype me at Ed. Dot Opperman uh, on my Skype thing here, and, and you could talk to William and uh, and David. 